Victoria's series is based on one scripture and one scripture only, and it's 1 John 5, 4. Let me read it to you. It says, you see, every child of God overcomes the world. Are there any followers of Christ in here? (laughs) Whoa, don't all put your hand up at once. It's me and my wife. We're all good. It says that every child of God, everyone who's a follower of Christ, everyone who's given their life to Christ overcomes the world. What's the world? It's not the people around us. It's the, it's the mindsets. It's the spirits of the world. It's, it's those things. We, we don't fight against people. We fight against the principalities and powers that are behind people. Yes? Come on. For our faith, listen to this, our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. I love that. Our faith is the victorious power that overcomes the world. And so the promise here in 1 John is that we all overcome the world. So we all overcome those things, that, that those attitudes, those mindsets, that stuff that bugs us, the things that try to hang on to us and grip us and those things that we struggle to let go of and the trauma that we've gone through and the hurts and the pains that we've suffered over our lifetime, all those things that that come against us. The Bible promises that when we're a follower of Christ that we overcome all of those things and the thing that overcomes it is our victorious faith. And so I wanna spend today just laying a foundation for you about what faith really is because I think we have a false concept of faith. We've got some wrong theology around faith sometimes. People think, I just need more faith. But the Bible doesn't say you need more faith. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and you tell this mountain to be moved and thrown into the sea, then it shall be so. It's not the size of your faith. It's about faith in, the, in a very, very big God. And so sometimes we just have this wrong idea about what faith is. And I'm hoping that over the next four weeks, we can realign ourselves to what the scripture teaches about what faith is so that we can all as he promised, be people that overcome the world. Does that sound like a good idea? Sounds like a great idea to me and three other people. So it's awesome. And so faith is a big subject. It's a subject that lots of people have covered, but faith is actually what I would call one of the big three because in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, these three things last forever, forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And the reason why love is the greatest out of those three is because God is love. Love is not something that God does. Love is something that God is. But it never says that God is hope or God is faith. And that's why love is the number one out of the three. But the reality is this, is that you can't really separate those three from each other because they all kind of work together. Love impacts your faith, faith impacts your hope, hope impacts your love. Everything kind of works together. It'll be like, it's like a cake, yeah? If you leave the flour out, it doesn't turn out too good. If you leave something out, it doesn't taste too good, yeah? If you leave the sugar out, it doesn't taste too good. Come on, thank you. I got a good amen there. I'm sorry if you're dairy-free, gluten-free, and sugar-free that you're missing out. And love impacts our faith, faith impacts our hope, and hope impacts our love. And the thing is, is this, is that the reason why we have to talk about faith 
is because the Bible doesn't say that it's a shield of love that distinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. It doesn't say that hope is our shield. It says faith is our shield. And so you can have all the love and all the hope in the world, but it doesn't defend you from what the enemy tries to do to you. Faith is the defense mechanism. Come on. And so it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, that word walk there literally means, in the Greek, it means manner of life. In other words, this is how we do our lives. This is how we do our life. So it's really what it's saying is that we do our lives by faith, not by sight. We live our lives by faith, not by what we see. We live our lives by faith, not what we see. And there's two ways that you can live your life. One, according to this scripture, is living your life by faith or living your life by what you see. Most people live their lives by what they see. And we allow what we see to dictate our internal dialogue in our worlds, yes? And we allow that to affect us and, and all that sort of stuff because they are absolutely opposed to each other, those two things. Because the Bible says this as well, is that faith is the substance of things unseen. In other words, faith doesn't operate by what we see in the natural, it operates by what we see in the spiritual. And I'm going to show you how we see things spiritually. And so the two oppose each other because the problem is what you see in the natural may not be what God has promised in the spiritual. And so how do we take the unseen promises of God and bring them into the reality of our world? Faith is the vehicle for that. It's not love and it's not hope. Faith is what brings it from what is unseen into the realm of what is seen. And before you knew Christ, before you gave your life to Christ, you functioned purely by what you could see. And I don't know about you, but if I lived my whole entire life based purely on what I can see with my natural eyes, there wouldn't be a lot of hope or a lot of love in some situations. Oh, you're very quiet. Some people, when COVID came along, freaked out, didn't they? Fear went crazy in their world. Why? Because they, what they could see. What they could see. And don't trust the news, by the way, because they just show you the bad bits. All right? All right, we won't go there this morning. You see, when you, before you found Christ, you lived by your five senses, yeah? What you could see, what you could touch, what you could hear, what you could taste, and what you could smell. But when you start to follow Christ, there's a sixth sense that kicks in that should actually dominate all the other senses, and that's a sense of faith. That faith aspect to your world. Prior to you having faith, everything that governed your life was based on what you could see. It governed you. It caused you to make the decisions that you've made in your life based on what you could see, not what you could see with your spiritual eyes, but what you could see physically. And once you get saved, all of a sudden, God now requires that we walk by faith, that our manner of life, the way that we live our life, is not governed by our senses anymore, but it's governed by our faith. Our faith dictates what we do and what we don't do, because we walk by faith now and not by sight. We walk by the manner of faith. We walk that way. And, and what the scripture is saying is that, and, and I, this is a challenge for me as much as it is for anybody in this room, 
The scripture does not say we walk by moments of faith. It says that our manner of life is faith. It's not saying that we have moments of faith. It's saying our whole entire life walk is faith. I don't know about you, but I find that really challenging because I have lots of moments of faith. I wouldn't say that I constantly walk in faith. If I'm honest with you this morning, if that's too much for you because you think I should be walking constantly in faith because you're the pastor, then sorry. (laughs) He didn't say have moments of faith. He said that your life should be faith. In other words, life should be the norm in every area of your life, be it your marriage, be it your parenting, be it your workplace, be it when you're at the supermarket, be it whatever it may be, your hobbies, your job, your sports, everything that we do in life, our manner of life, how we live our life should be in faith, not moments of faith, but a lifestyle of faith where faith is constantly the thing that drives the decision process in every part of our lives, from marriage through to jobs to everything else in between. It's no longer ruled by what we see because what we see affects us in the natural, but we now are ruled by a final authority in our life, which is our faith. Our faith now becomes the final authority in our lives. Look at it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. Everyone say temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I I love this because it says temporary is this. It means subject to change. Temporary means subject to change. If you look it up, it means subject to change. Everything is temporary. Things change all the time, yes? The way that your kid is at the moment is temporary. They temporarily have an inability to make their bed before they leave the house in the morning. It's temporary. It's subject to change. Because we can nag the snot out of them to make sure they do it, yes? I'm the only one that has trouble with that. It means subject to change. So everything that you see is temporary. The Bible puts it this way, that life is like a, it's like a mist that comes and it goes. It's temporary. It's temporary. Our life here on earth is temporary. It it doesn't last forever. It's the eternal that is not subject to change. Eternal doesn't change. The eternal is always the eternal. Because that's where God, God rules here too. But eternally, when we get to heaven, things don't change. Things are constant all the time right? It's here on earth, the temporary stuff. And so what he's saying is that the things that you see, they're temporary and they're subject to change. They'll shift and they'll change. You might have a job, you might lose a job. You might have this, you might lose that. You might think that that girl is, is going to be the, the one, but then she dumps you a month later and you realize she's not the one. <laughs> you thought you married a knight in shining armor, and then after about five years, you realize what you married was a farting, burping sex machine. It's, it's subject to change. Oh, I'm cracking some good jokes this morning, but you guys are just stuck in your religious rut. I'm preaching better than you're responding, but that's okay. 
So God is talking about not, not looking at the natural, not looking at the temporal, but looking at the spiritual, the eternal, the things that don't change. We need to see with our spiritual eyes because that's how we live in the kingdom. And, and what this scripture really means is uh, even though you can see what you see, it should not rule your life. Even though you can see what you can see, it should not rule your life. So I can hear the doctors say that this and this is wrong with you, but the doctor is not the final authority in your life. The scripture is the final authority. It says, by his stripes we are healed. You know, you might see a situation in your finances that looks grim, but the final authority is, is this, is that if we look after his house, he'll look after our house and he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there's not enough room for you to contain it. And he says, test me now in this if I will not do it. And so the final authority is not what my bank says, it's not what my finances say, but it's what, what are the principles of scripture. And if I follow the principles, even though it doesn't make sense to give money away to God, the principle is, is that if you show so sparingly you reap sparingly, but if you sow generously, you reap generously, that it's pressed down, shaking together, running out all over, that what you give is what God can multiply with. And that's why in Amos it says that the, the reaping has overtaken the sowing because God principles that when you look after him, he multiplies what you give and you get so much more. But the world says, don't give away, hold on to everything you have. but the world's not the final authority on your finances. You see, I can see what's going on in my home and, and I don't understand what's going on in my home, but what I see is not the final authority in my home. God's the final authority. And he says that it is his wish that you and your whole household shall be saved. Come on. And so we see with our eyes, but... What we see shouldn't rule us. Why? Because we walk by faith, not moments of faith, but we live our entire life walking in faith. Faith. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified there means that you have the right to claim what is yours in Christ. We have the right to claim what is yours in Christ. And I'm not talking about the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, confess it and possess it. That's not faith. We'll find that out in a minute. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that because we have been justified by faith, it gives us the right to claim all the things that are ours in Christ. That word peace means end to hostilities into hostilities, that through faith, not only can I get what is mine in Christ, but I get peace with God, because God is not mad at me. And then it goes on, it says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That word stand means continued, endurance, persistence, resistance, we access by faith into this grace that is this undeserved favor of God and we can endure and we can persist, persist 
and we can resist all the things that try to take it away. And the word rejoice means boast. Hope is a, it's like this positive expectation. Glory means the favorable opinion of God. And so let me put that scripture into Craig's version. And it says this in my version of when I put that all together and what it all means is it says this, therefore being given the right to claim what is yours in Christ Jesus by faith, we have the end of hostilities with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through who we also have access by faith into his favor wherein we continue, endure, persist, resist, and boast in the positive expectation of the favorable opinion of God. That's what that scripture is saying. That by faith, we can have what is ours in Christ, that we end hostilities with God, that we can have his peace, and that we have his undeserved favor, and we get his unreserved opinion of how much he loves us, and he is for us, and he is with us, and all of that is accessed, and all of it is central, and all of it comes to conclusion in faith. That when we live our lives in faith, we don't have hostility with God. When we live our lives in faith, we can have the things that are meant to be ours, that we can claim that are ours. That when we live a life in faith, that we get his undeserved favor and that we have his glory upon us. Faith is the central thing that causes us to have all of these benefits. And in Corinthians, it goes on and it says this in 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is there anybody in Christ this morning? Don't leave me hanging here. Anyone in Christ this morning? He is what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that all things actually covers every area of your life. That every area of your life is covered. It literally means new attitudes, new priorities, new values. And, and I would love to say that the moment that I gave my life to Christ when I was seven years of age, that all of a sudden I had great attitude, great priorities, and new values. I, I would love to say that this, it's this instantaneous thing that happens, but that would be a lie because what I have learned is over the years, my attitudes change, my priorities change, my values change. You know, I was listening to a, a message that I preached years ago when I was just doing youth ministry, and, and I just found it when we were shifting, and I decided I'd have a listen to it. Don't ever do that. It's, I probably preached it about, I don't know, 20 years ago, and I'm listening to it, and I'm going, I don't even believe that now. Because there are some things that... I thought that God was about that as I've grown in my walk with him, as I've increased my faith walk with him, all of a sudden my values and my attitudes and my priorities change. And it's not that what I preached 20 years ago was bad, it just wasn't complete. When you come to Christ and you gave your life to him, and he gave, and you gave your life into him. 
what the scripture says is that when you did that, he brought all of his attitudes, all of his values, and all of his priorities with him. And so what happens from the time that we give our life to Christ is that Jesus starts to work on us from the inside out. We, we want him to fix the things we see, but he's trying to change our values, our priorities, our attitudes, because he knows that if he can fix what's in you, it'll automatically fix what's around you. And so he starts working from the inside out, and over time, your attitudes change, your values change, your priorities change. Before you knew Christ, church was not a priority. Being here on a Sunday was not a value to you. Now it is. Why? Because things changed. Yeah. There's a time in my life when I, if I'm honest with you, where I only cared about God's opinion of me when I was doing something wrong. Any time I really cared about what God thought about me was when I was doing something wrong because I didn't want to go to hell. And so when I would stuff up, I start to care about his opinion of me and then, and then I'd start doing what a lot of us do. We start cutting deals with God. I, I know I did wrong, but if you forgive me for this, I will be a missionary in Mongolia. For the rest of my life. I, I, I know I did wrong, but, but and we start cutting deals. And, and if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And the whole time, here's the thing, the whole time God knows you're lying, but he gets you out of it anyway. Why? Because he's just a good God. He knows when I made that promise to him that I'd go on the mission field and serve him for the rest of my life. He knew that I wasn't going to do that. But he got me out of it anyway. Why? Because old things have passed away. I'm a new creation. I, I don't walk by what I see anymore in the natural. You're, you're in a new kingdom by different principles. You now have a savior and a Lord. And instead of a contract, you have a covenant. And in a covenant, the person that's in covenant with you does what they're meant to do, even if you never do what you're meant to do. That's why it says, for God so loved the world, even though the world wasn't in covenant with him, for God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on the cross for you and I, even though we weren't doing what we were meant to do, he still did what he was meant to do. You're not the person that you used to be when you first came to Christ. You may look the same, but on the inside, you're a new person. And I, I just want to finish off this morning bringing this all to, like, this is like a, like a foundation for the next three weeks, but bringing this all to a conclusion because we understand that we're meant to walk in faith and all of our life is meant to be orientated and governed by faith. But I have still not really told you what faith is. And we hear that we need to live our lives by faith all the time. You need more faith for that. Right? You need faith to be healed. And you, but we've never really communicated well, I don't think, what faith really is. Maybe I'm alone here, but I can remember growing up in church, hearing about faith all the time, but actually not really understanding what faith was. 
I felt like when I was younger, a teenager especially, that faith was more like cross your fingers, touch wood, and hope God comes through. That's what faith was. Because we've never explained what faith really is, yet the Scripture clearly explains it. And 2 Corinthians 4.13, as we come to a close this morning, says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So the scripture here is saying, what is faith? Faith is made up of two components. Believing and speaking. Faith is made up of two components, believing and speaking. Faith literally is believing and speaking. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our believing and our speaking. This is the shield that stops the fiery darts of the enemy, our believing and our speaking. I walk by my believing and my speaking and not by sight. We have access into His grace by our believing and speaking and what Christ did for us instead of what we did. Faith is believing and speaking. We all know what speaking is, yes? Some of our children speak way too much when they're little. We all know what speaking is, but I don't think some of us really understand what believing is. Because believing is a choice that we make. Faith is making a choice to believe what God says in spite of what I see. And then I speak it. You can tell what you believe by what you say. Your believing drives your speaking. Are you with me this morning? What you say about your marriage is actually what you really believe. So you can turn around and say, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. But when you're not at church and around people that you're trying to impress, and you're saying, God's not for me, God's not with me, God doesn't care, God hates me, God's not for, I'm going down to the garden to eat worms all alone. That's what you really believe. That's why the name it and claim it, confess it and possess it, blab it and grab it is not faith. Because faith is you speak what you believe. Not what you hope for, not what you got your fingers crossed for, but what you believe. So even though the doctor says cancer, I believe that he's the God that heals me And so therefore I speak out of my belief and I bring the unseen into the scene because my believing drives my speaking. You can't speak your beliefs into place. You have to have, your speaking has to come out of what you believe. I've learned this the hard way because I've been in church my whole entire life. My parents were pastors and I can quote all the scriptures. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Every voice that rises up against me, um, God shall crush. And I can quote you all the scriptures, but on the inside, I don't really believe it when things are going wrong sometimes. And so I'm just saying stuff out loud, and I know that it's good to quote scripture, don't get me wrong, but when Jesus said to the devil the three times that his tempted, man may not live by bread alone, it wasn't a cute phrase that he said, he believed it. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, he's like, I believe this. 
I don't need food. My, my food is to do the will of the Father. It wasn't a nice, cute saying. His belief drove what he said. And what helps us to overcome the world, what helps us to overcome our anxieties, what helps us to overcome our fears, what helps us to overcome the bad news, what helps us to overcome in this world is not cute quotes, but it's a belief that I have in here that I speak out of my mouth. Why? Because when you believe it and speak it, the same power is on those words that is on Jesus's words. Why? Because it's not who says it, but it's what you're saying that has power. The words of God in his mouth is as powerful as the word of God in your mouth when you believe it and you speak it. And then all of a sudden, when they're not governed by what we see. I left this morning. My wife and I, we had an argument. It's probably not going to be very good. And instead of at work, spending my whole time thinking about when I get home, how are we going to pick up that argument and make sure that I win it? What I'm going to do is I'm going to spend my whole day saying, I believe, God, that you gave me her, that she's the best thing that I could ever have, that she's the perfect one for me. And even though we fought this morning, and even though I don't understand all the time, I know that you've given her to me. I know that she's your daughter. I know that she was your daughter before she was ever my wife. And I know that I need to treat her right because if somebody treated my daughter wrong, I'd have a problem with them. I gotta love her. I gotta cherish her. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. What matters is relationship. And and you start talking like that for your day. When you get home, you're not ready for World War III. You're ready to reconcile. And hopefully if you have a brain in your head that as that belief starts to grow on the inside of you, you'll at least send a text, if not a phone call, that says, hey, baby, I'm sorry we fought this morning. I love you. I know that we can do this. I know that we can get through this. Let's not make a big deal out of this. Let's sit down tonight and talk this through and and work out how we're going to move forward together. Why? Because our believing drives our speaking. What you say is what you really believe. You choose to believe or not believe your whole entire life. You've chosen to believe or not believe what your parents tell you. Yeah? I think when Seth was four, don't touch the fire, it's hot. 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 You know what? Touch the flipping fire. (laughs) He touches the fire, and what does he learn? It's hot. He knew from there on in that the fire was hot. Don't touch it. But the reality is he chose not to believe us. And so it learned to him burning his finger. You see... When you choose not to believe what God is telling you, you'll end up burning your finger. You've chosen to believe or not believe what the teachers have taught you at school. This is how you do multiplication. No, I've got my own ideas on that. Trust me, that won't work out well for you. You've chosen to believe that the guy who proposed to you, loved you, and wanted to be with you for your entire life. You chose to believe that, or you didn't, and then you're not married to him. We choose to believe our entire lives. This is nothing new for us. 
And all I'm asking you and all I believe that God is asking us is that when it comes to the kingdom of God, when we choose to believe what He says about your life instead of what you see about your life? Would you choose to speak what He says about your life rather than what you think about your life? What He said about your life is way better than anything you and I will ever say about our own lives. And once you can line up with what He believes about you, and you can start to believe that for yourself, and you start to speak what you believe, I believe your life will transform. We need to believe what He says. Faith is the way we're meant to live our lives in every area. And faith is your believing and your speaking. And so I want to challenge you this morning. This week, as you go about your life, listen to what you're saying. Because what you're saying is really what you're believing. Oh, my 15-year-old, just a snot disrespectful little punk. Don't, don't look at me like I'm mean. You think this about your kids? I know you do. We've all been there and done that. You know, especially when they get to that age. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about other people's kids. Not your kids, other people's kids. But they get to that age where they're like, I'm alpha male of the house now. How many dads have gone through that? Come on, let's be honest right now. If you haven't gone through that yet, you need to learn some dirty fighting tricks to keep dominance in your home. But there can be times where they're difficult. You know, I, I can remember, Madison's done this to me a few times. I can say this because she's busy on the keyboard so she can't hurt me. But I can remember complaining to her about things like, you know, make your bed and complaining about things that she hasn't done around the house. And I remember her saying this, and I say this because I want... I want, you to, I want you to understand the change in language that sometimes we need to get as parents. And I'm complaining that she didn't make her bed and she leaves her dishes on the bench and doesn't put them in the dishwasher and, you know, puts a load of washing on but doesn't hang it out. Can, can I get some amens from some of the parents? Makes toast but leaves the crumbs all over the bench, never cleans them up. Yes? Can I? Failure. Don't squeegee the shower so you don't get rain spots on the glass. Come on. We could go on and on and on. But I remember moaning and groaning. You're lazy and you don't do this. And I remember her saying this to me. She goes, Dad, what? Do I go out and get drunk? No. Do I do, I do drugs? No. Do I do parties? No. Do I sleep around? No. So what's your problem? Problem is you don't make your bed. <laughs> but you know what? It triggered me to go, God, I thank you that I've got a daughter that loves God, that's serving God, that has a heart for God, that's not doing all of those things. Why? Because you know what? That's the manner of life. 
doesn't mean that she shouldn't make her bed. It just means sometimes parents, we've got to stop, sit back and go, actually, some of this stuff really doesn't matter. Some of you are like, it does matter. But I, what I'm saying is this, is that I had to change my language. I had to change my language. Because what I believed is that she was lazy and she was useless and because she wasn't doing some of the things. But once I changed my language, man, change takes place. Your believing drives your speaking. Watch yourself this week. What you say about your job, what you say about your marriage, what you say about your kids, what you say about your finances, what you say about your life. And if you find something that you're saying that is not good, then please search the scriptures, find what it is that you should believe and start to confess that instead.